I was ready for another praise song there. I don't know what happened. It moved along quicker than I thought. Okay, this morning is a bit of a historical event before us because we are going to look at ordaining um, our elders and our deacons. And so we're going to be looking at a, several passages of Scripture because some people may not even know uh, where these things are in Scripture or they never may have uh, realized that the church ought to be doing this. But we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and then Titus uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. And then I'll have some other passages there, but I'll try to have as many as I can available to you. Uh, some may not know, though, today um, that when I first came here to uh, Calvary some 34 years ago, that's a long time, um, there was really no uh, clear doctrine here. There was just a few people, uh, and I began to do evangelism, and we began to see people get saved and, and really understand what the gospel was and real conversion was. And then I realized that, you know, some in the mindset of most of the people were just a single pastor, and the deacons made all the decisions, uh, and the pastor was like, either he, you know, he'd be there and then he'd be gone. But uh, on July, and really in July 1987, that was a couple years after I'd been here, uh, I started preaching on eldership. Some people had never even heard the word elder before, and um, and I began to preaching on eldership and the role of deacons uh, and where they fit. And so we wanted to move from an unbiblical form of a single elder uh, and a, a single deacon to a more biblical form where there will be a plurality of elders, and of course that would be shared ministry and shared leadership. Uh, and of course, in Scripture, no passage suggests that any church, no matter how small or large, only had one elder or one deacon. Uh, because of the weight of the work, because of the vastness of the work, uh, those things are, it's important for men to be coming up uh, who are going to be qualified scripturally to be able to fulfill these roles. Now, the passages of Scripture this Lord's Day will focus in on elders and deacons, and there's only two offices given to the church in light of uh, the teaching of Scripture and the duty of the church to ordain elders, and, and I'll describe what ordination is a little later on. Uh, I bring this responsibility before you as the gathered body of believers here uh, at Calvary Community Church that we need to ordain our elders and deacons. And so far, this has been the third time we have ordained elders and deacons, and the first time was in November 1999. Uh, it took that long for people to get what elders were. <laughs> and then also uh, in 2008, and then of course today would be uh, February 24th. Scripture does say in, in Titus, and I want you to notice at least in verse number 4, it says this, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. 
So it is. It was important wherever a New Testament church, a gather of believers were, there were uh, to be elders in that place, whether they were sent there uh, or whether they were raised up there in, a, in that place. And it takes a while sometimes to raise up elders. There may be a one uh, pastor church until he raises people up to take those slots. And um, so elder becomes a common word in Scripture. But sometimes people may get confused a little bit because there are three terms that are used in Scripture, and here they are. It's an elder, or we get the word, the Greek word, uh, presbyteros. Uh, this word emphasizes the man in his character, in his heart, in his life. An elder also includes someone who is older from the Old Testament. They do have to have some age, some experience, some spiritual knowledge and growth, of course, of the Word of God, and, and they have to have a certain level of spiritual maturity. Of course, the Bible describes them as men who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. Bishop is another word that you see in Scripture, episkopos. Uh, this word really has to do with him being a guardian or someone who guards over people, uh, and it emphasizes his function. And then, of course, the last one would be a common one, pastor, but of course it's also the word poimin. It means shepherd, uh, and that is his attitude, uh, how he feels against uh, towards the sheep who has been entrusted to them. And, of course, the shepherd is one who takes care of the community of believers, including guiding, caring, and looking after with an emphasis on governing, the governing aspects of an administrative role. But what people don't realize is that all these three words are talking about one person. One person with three different functions. So these are talking about the functions of the elder, of the pastor, of the overseer. All right, They're all the same person, and so they're not three different people or three different levels or anything like that. So this, these two, uh, actually the two passages in Acts 20, verse 17 and 28, actually brings these three, three words together where it says this in Acts 20, verse 17, from Miletus, uh, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, be on guard. Okay, let's go to verse 20, 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit had made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So we see here all those three words are talking about the same person. All right? And what are they to do? They're actually to they are to shepherd those who Christ has purchased with his own blood. So the Lord is actually entrusting the people that he died for and saved into the trust of certain men uh, within the congregation. So that means that the men of the congregation have to be growing at least in the character qualities of what an elder is. An elder has to have character, all right? But he has to have not just any character. He has to have a character that is defined by the Bible. Now, if you have read this maybe the first time or maybe you haven't read it in a long time, once you read these characteristics, you may, as I said to myself when I first read them, I said, I don't know if anybody 
could meet these character qualities because the standard is extremely high. But see, God is not looking for degrees. He's not looking for hyper skill. He's looking for character. He's looking for men and their wives and family that have integrity. That's what he's looking for. And so he does save men and, and their families to be qualified with these characteristics. Now, that brings me to, I'm going to look, be using the Titus passage of Scripture concerning eldership and the qualities that go with each elder. And I'm just going to describe as briefly as I can each one of them. And it's the first one in uh, 1 Timothy 3 and then also in Titus chapter 1, is that, first of all, that if any man, it says, is above reproach, uh, that means that this is kind of a controlling characteristic. They're above criticism or they're above being blamed for something or, in other words, they're un- unimpeachable. Uh, any accusation that is level against a particular officer like an elder cannot it cannot have any footing in reality and so they have to have a person they have to be a person like that secondly they would be a person who is the husband of one wife in other words he's a one woman man absolutely above reproach concerning his marital relationship that must be the case especially in the days in which we live today which is there's a lot there's a, a fuzzy definition of the family uh, man and men and women identity has is kind of being erased and so the church has to keep all that very clear and one of the things we have to keep clear is that a man has to have uh, if he is married he doesn't have to be married but if he is he has to have uh, a good growing marriage and of course. He has to be above reproach in that. And, of course, that would bring us to the third thing here, is that having children who believe. Now, that means that he is a good household manager. Uh, the verb here, believe, in Titus uh, actually means to influence others as to cause them to follow a recommended cause of action, to guide them, to direct them, to lead them. All right. In other words, basically, it doesn't mean that his children have to be believers in Christ yet, because all kids, you don't know when they're going to believe right away. It means that his children have to be faithful. They have to be faithful to his authority and be listening to his authority. And as it's connected there, that little phrase there, that they're not giving over to uh, rebellion or riotous living, right? They're, they're, they're not senseless or reckless. They are kids that are regular kids that are growing up and they're learning uh, what it means to live in a Christian home and what, it, what, does, what does the Bible say about life? And they're, they're growing in all those particular characteristics. And then, of course, the next one would be that he is uh, someone who is not accused of dissipation or rebellion, or that's the children, or he's not self-willed or arrogant. Um, that means he's, he's not, he, he finds out what God's will is. Uh, and he's, he's, got, he's someone who um, is looking at the Lord and asking for advice 
as to what the Bible says about things concerning uh, whatever God gives him and entrusts to him. He's, he wants to manage it well. He, so he takes very... Uh, he takes the light and he takes it serious of whatever God gives him to do that he wants to do it well. And then, of course, that would bring me to of not being self-willed or arrogant. He's not an arrogant person. He wants to seek out the will of God in the word of God and is willing to hear sound and wise reasoning and make decisions based on balanced thought. So he's not self-willed. He, he realizes that he has to pull sometimes the information that comes from the congregation to make good decisions. Uh, and so he's not just making that on his own. He has other elders to talk over issues with. Sometimes elders know things that know, some of you will never know as far as things that are going on in the congregation or in someone's life because uh, you don't need to know. Uh, but they're dealing with things, and so they're dealing with the, those things together. And so they're, they're not someone who is self-willed and say, I know all the answers. I don't need any, any of your comments or input. No, he's someone's welcoming input, welcoming comments, and wants to make the right decisions. All right. And then, of course, he's not quick-tempered. Of course, that's self-explanatory. He, he's slow to get ang- sinfully angry. And he knows the anger of man, as it says in James, does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So he walks not in the flesh, desires to walk, walk in the spirit, not the flesh. And so he is, he is in control. And so a, a next one would be that he is not addicted to wine. Uh, here is a person who uh, habitually drinks too much. That's what it's against. Those who are drunkards uh, or a heavy drinker. That's a, something that should never be part of his character. And this means that it's not, nece- it's, it's not necessary for officers to be teetotalers, but apparently he is responsible with the use of any kind of alcohol. Uh, it's not something that he would depend on. He's not controlled by any outside substance, whether it be this or some kind of drug, to get along, to get through life. He is in control of that, can say no to it, have it, and then is very cautious about if he does partake when he does it. And then, of course, he is not someone who is, an old word, pugnacious. It, that means not violent, not a brawler. He doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. Um, he's not fond of sordid gain. All right, That has to do with money pertaining to uh, being shamefully greedy, for material gain or profit. He does not have his heart set on accumulation of material things. He has a good, in other words, a good grasp of a biblical view of money, knowing that money is only for this side of eternity, right? You're not taking it with you, no matter how much you have, right? And that you are to work to have money to be able to give and supply the needs that God will allow you to supply it. So he gives generously and sacrificially. And that leads to the next one, that he is hospitable. That means another way of saying that he's open-handed. He's willing to be hospitable in any way he can to help somebody. And then, of course, loving what is good, meaning he's open-hearted. He loves what is good, what brings good results. Uh, And the thing that I believe that grieves an elder the most would be Uh, that somebody would not listen to sound biblical truth and therefore reject it 
and then reject their counsel uh, when the counsel is coming right from the Word of God. And of course, that means that they would be also sensible. That means upright, uh, just, and devout. They, they want to live a holy life. They want to be fair. They want to be honest. They want to be reliable. And of course, that all comes under uh, the umbrella of, as the Spirit of God gives self-control to them, uh, that he knows his strengths and his weaknesses and endeavors to bring them under the power of the Holy Spirit to use them uh, for the benefit and edification of the church. And then this last one that is included in in Titus chapter 1, verse number 9, is, is that he holds fast to the faithful word. He holds fast to the faithful word. And the rest of that passage says, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict, that he has a growing knowledge of God, his word, his own gifts, and abilities to teach and live out the principles of Scripture. So he's continually, in other words, growing in these characteristics. These are not, this is not a perfect person. This is a person that has flaws, that is still dealing with sin, and yet, God is, is developing in them these characteristics. Now, I believe that all men should be aspiring to these characteristics. Even if you never become an elder, these are the kind of men that not only the church needs, families need, and the world needs, society needs. These are the kind of men that when, when bosses are looking for people, they're looking for these kind of people. You know what? They're not finding many today. But they should be finding people that are in the church because uh, they are realizing that these are the things that honor God. These are the things that give you influence and give you uh, the ability to say things where people actually listen. Right? So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to stress here is the specific functions of church elders. All right? And of course, the first function would be that of an, an analogy from the field would be an elder functions as a shepherd in the field watching over his flock. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 8 says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's that word, overseer, to oversee people. And then to shepherd, to lead and guide them, the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So he is to tend the sheep, he is to keep the sheep, he is to, uh, the shepherd then is responsible for the welfare of the sheep, he is to guard them from wolves or false teachers, he is to expose false teaching and false philosophies and the false way people may conclude on how to live your life, especially warning uh, when the elder is not present for some reason, warning them what may come when he is not around. Like it says also in Acts 20, verse 29, it says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. There are people that are going to come along and they're going to want their own congregation. 
all right, and they're going to draw people away, and it could be that they're good teachers or they're good, uh, or able to articulate and manipulate people very good, and they have a charismatic personality that is magnetic, and people just are drawn to them. A lot of people that are head of cults uh, could be presidents of corporations too because of their charismatic personality. They're able to do that and manipulate people. That's not what an elder is in the church. An elder is a, is a humble man who wants to take the welfare of God's sheep and be responsible with that. Also, a shepherd is responsible for feeding the sheep, right? where it says in Acts 20, uh, verse 27, and I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose or the whole counsel of God. And then a shepherd is responsible for... Uh, to care for them and to pray for them when they are in difficulty. All right, so so just so, yet imperfectly, elders, shepherds uh, are to manage people and give oversight to people. That is one of the first functions they have. There's a second function that they have, and is the second function would be this. An elder as a governor in the assembly, ruling over the flock. Now, here are all these three words coming together that God has given to elders, a sphere of rule, all right? The extent of his rule is his own household first, and then all who come under the sphere of his rule in the local church. That is why passages like these that I'm going to mention uh, bear out the authority in the pastoral office with politically incorrect words such as obey and submit. For example, an elder in his home, his wife is to submit, where it tells us in Ephesians 5, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wife ought to be to their own husbands in everything. So Christ is the, the elder, the husband's example, Christ's rule over the church is a considerate rule. It's a faithful rule. It is a a gracious and a tender rule. So the elder, the pastor, the bishop, is to have the rule in his home that is like Christ's rule over the church. He is to rule his wife lovingly. And the wife who submits to the rule of Christ in the home, it becomes a beautiful picture of what God intended, that The home becomes a picture of how Christ loves the church. So his rule is fair, it is firm, it is affectionate toward his wife and toward his children. In other words, their home is a haven. It's a place where you have a good time, you rest, you you enjoy yourself. Uh, It is not a place where you're walking on eggshells all the time. And you wonder, if I do this and I do that, no, it's, it's a fun place in a sense, and it's a, a, a good place to be because he makes it that way. See, And so also, he is uh, in his home. His children are, are also to submit, where it says in 1 Timothy uh, 3, 4, where I already read it, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity, or in other words, keeping his children, having his children children in submission. He's to do that. And if you can't take care of the little league, which is the family, well, you can't take care of the big league, which is the church. All right? So, so they both go together. 
They're connected to one another. And everybody realizes that once you become a Christian, you realize that your family, if you, when you're raising them up, it's not like our family and then the church. No, the church and the family go together. They dovetail together. And so the mark of a submissive child is, I'll do what pleases my father. And that's the mark of a, a Christian to the Lord. I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord. I want to obey you. So it says, like it says in Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. I just dealt with that last week. And then, of course, the last one, and this is the one that may be difficulty today for some people, is that his rule also is a rule that goes into the flock, where, in other words, that the, the flock are to submit, right? That's what they're to do. Notice what it says there on the screen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So in other words, that his rule and his function to govern has to do with you too. That, listen, when you submit to them as they're, they have the qualifications and they have the office, and that God's given them that office, then you're to submit to them. Why? Because they watch over your souls, right? They're concerned about your eternal destiny. They can, they're concerned about what's going on in your life. And let them do it with joy, it says, and not with grief. Why? Because that would be unprofitable, not for them, but for you, right? So, unfortunately, dealing with people in all kinds of sinful situations uh, it doesn't always go very well uh, where you have to deal with a lot of grief in the ministry. It's, it's heavy uh, being in the ministry, being an elder. It, it's heavy to be an elder uh, and, and to be deacons that have to deal with mercy situations that don't always go the way uh, people expect them to go. And so you, sometimes you feel that you have failed them because you, you, you didn't do it the way they thought you should do it but you did it the way it would honor God. But they weren't looking for that. They were looking for something else. So an elder also functions as a teacher, all right, in the assembly, instructing the flock. And, of course, that comes very clear, like in a passage in 1 Timothy 3.2, where it says, An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable. And here's what sets the elder as a, apart from a deacon, is that he is able to teach. He's able to handle the word of God correctly. He's able and desires to declare to them, the sheep, the whole counsel of God. So all elders are to have the aptitude to teach. Some are given over to this responsibility full-time, like myself. Some are not. Some have jobs and are considered lay elders, Right, uh, not necessarily a biblical term, but uh, they they have other responsibilities and they give as much as they can in their eldership in their responsibilities towards the church. So all elders, no matter what they're doing, are able to teach. So he needs to continue to grow in God, uh, his God-given gift to teach in the assembly. So apt to teach is one who is both able and not only able. I've, I've met people uh, who were able to teach but weren't willing to teach. 
They have to be able and willing to communicate to others the knowledge which God has given him. And so one who is, in other words, fit to teach and ready to take on the opportunities and responsibilities of giving instructions to other people from the word of God. They want to do that. And that's why the Bible does warn us, like in a passage of scripture in uh, 1 Timothy 5.19, it says, do not uh, lay hands on, or 1 Timothy 5.22, hands on anyone suddenly or hastily. Don't do it too fast. Just because somebody wants to do something, don't go be laying your hands on them and saying, okay, they have an office now. No, don't do that. No, you have to test them. You have to look at their life. You have to examine them. You have to see what's going on, both in and outside the church uh, building and responsibilities at, on, on the grounds in their own home and, and what's going on in their job, all kinds of ways you examine them. So if there are going to be four minimum requirements for elders, it would have to be something like this. Number one, he must have a character growing in sync with Scripture. Secondly, he must have a grasp on the basic content and doctrine of the Holy Scripture, like it says in Titus, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he is able to both exhort in sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, and to refute those who contradict. So a biblical elder must stick to the word of God and not his own opinions and not his own notions or the notions of the world, or the notions of some famous teacher. He must give them God's word because truth does not change. Other things change, changes, but truth does not. All right. And then he must, thirdly, have a proven ability to com- clearly communicate the word of God, where it says in Timothy, these things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these two faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So they're able to teach. And then it goes on to say in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of God. So in other words, they have a good hermeneutic. They know how to handle the Bible. They know when they come to certain passages of Scripture, certain prose, certain uh, end-time passages, how to handle those, all right, and how to uh, use them in regard to the rest of the Scripture. So they're able to do that. They're able to accurately, without shame, handle the Word of God so they can do the work of ministry. So there is the elder. Now that brings me to the second office, and that is the diaconate, right? And I'm going to deal with this, uh, the diaconate, the same way I've dealt with the elders, because that's what the way the Bible does it, right? That first of all, what is God looking for in the deacons? He's looking for character. He wants men who have character, right? And in fact, in Acts chapter 6, it says when the we see the uh, kind of like the formulation of the diaconate in Acts there was a problem there, and, um, and they were called together uh, to solve that problem. And what happens in Acts, and it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, 
So the 12, that's the uh, uh, 12 apostles, summoned the congregation of disciples and says, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God and in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men. All right, but those seven men were not just any men. It says that it would be men who, it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, who would be of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of the task. So it's not just any old person who volunteers. It's somebody who has character. They are someone who gets put in charge of things who have um, wisdom and who are being led by the Spirit of God. Now, that leads me to the first Timothy chapter 3, verse number 8 through 13 passage of Scripture, and is the first character, uh, the qualities of, of, of church deacons. It says in verse number 8 and 11 that he is a man worthy of respect. That means he uh, it, 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 it pertains to appropriate and befitting behavior, and it implies a dignity and a respect, something honorable about the man, and that it's worthy of respect. And what's that worthy of respect? He has character. Right, he has he has desire that people see and can observe about wanting to honor God with his life. All right, so that brings me to the second one there uh, in verse two of First Timothy chapter three and verse ten. They are to be sincere. That means they are to be someone who again cannot be criticized. Uh, they cannot be uh, held blamable about something or. They are someone who cannot be impeached because the accusations that somebody may bring against them cannot stick, all right, because of who they are. And so they also, again, deacons are not to be indulging in much wine. Again, the same thing. Uh, it means that he has to be responsible in what would control him or what can throw him off uh, track. So he is someone who is responsible with uh, anything that is has an outside influence, that of alcohol or drugs. And then, of course, pertaining to honesty, he is, uh, they are not to be pursuing dishonest gain, uh, pursuing, again, shameful, shameful greed or uh, just wanting to have material profit. He, he does not set his heart on accumulating material things or wealth. Uh, he has, a, again, a good grasp of a biblical view of money, and he gives generously and sacrificially. Then a, another one is that he's not double-tongued. All right, That means that, it, that that pertains to a contradictory behavior based on, it could be upon pretense or hypocrisy. In other words, he's not two-faced or hypocritical. He does not speak out of both sides of his mouth different things. His character quality is not limited also to his speech, but also to his behavior. He is consistent. He's predictable. You know what he's going to do. And sometimes when people know what you go, you're going to do, sometimes that's the reason why they don't come to you, because they already know what you're going to tell them. So they go to somebody who is not going to tell them what you're going to tell them. 
and they're going to take their advice. All right, just like our kids when they do that, right? So this is these are qualities that are commendable in the church. And of course, the next one is they they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Now again, they're not teachers, but they hold to the mystery of the faith with a sincere conscience. They have their belief is genuine. In other words, it's pure. Uh, it's the real thing. This is a real, real believer. This is a real, genuine person. You don't have to try to figure him out. He's there and has a firm grasp of sound doctrine, and he lives by the word that he says. That's who he is. And then also, he is. Uh, there must be also a um, verse number ten that he is a man who is tested. Uh, he is tested. Um, that means it says that if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons t- to be tested and proved to be faithful in serving God. Right? And of course, the congregation recognizes, wow, this guy's been faithful. This guy has been uh, doing this uh, without, sometimes without thank, without praise, and with joy. Absolutely someone who is... Uh, ready to get into the office and serve. All right, then, of course, he is a uh, husband of one wife, again, a one-woman man, uh, absolutely above reproach concerning their marital relationship. Uh, He is someone who who manages his his household well. Uh, He's a good household manager. He has faithful children who are listening to him, not given to riotous or rebellious living. And then... uh, on top of all that, there is a, a tremendous thing that is said about a deacon in, in our passage here in verse 13. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So in other words, heavenly reward, a smile from Jesus when deacons have functioned in their office well. Wow, that is amazing. Now, one thing I want to include with this is the Bible in verse number 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 3 include the wives. Now, I do not believe women should will hold an office of deacon. But what the Bible is saying here is that the women who will be the wives often of the deacons are to be women of who are dignified, who are not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. And why is that? Because they're going to be serving alongside their elder husbands or their deacon husbands, and they're going to be privy to a lot of information about people that only they know. So they are not to be malicious gossips. They can't be talking about what's going on when you know that's supposed to be kept in private. So see, in other words, the woman has to be as qualified as the man so he can serve in his office and she can come alongside of him and serve with him, even though she does not hold the office. He does. But she is to be as qualified in character as he is. So then the information and the things they do deal with in ministry will be dealt with in an honest and a 
a way where people can trust them with, with even personal things. So this morning we have uh, our elder wives are Yin Ho and Sherry Ann Crumbly, and then our, uh, our deacon wives are Shea Bibbo, Rebecca Fantuzo, and Natalie Gusses. Those are the women that are uh, coming alongside their husbands, and they are aiding them, ministering with them. And a lot of times, if a man's going to go somewhere and have to deal with a woman, right, well, he needs to bring his wife with him or another elder or deacon with him, right? Never going alone to go and minister to someone, uh, possibly a woman who is hurting or vulnerable, and he needs to protect himself uh, because of what other people can say too, and he needs to go with them. And also, it's always good to take somebody else because whatever's being said can be uh, corroborated with somebody else who heard it, right? And so you can say, bring your, uh, the facts together, write them down, log it in, and as they do, as you do that, then I think that is is m- much more helpful than uh, doing something on your own. And again, the wisdom of pl- plurality, the wisdom of more than one person doing the ministry. And, uh, and believe me, the, the wives uh, uh, in our church have been tremendous blessings uh, to the work of the ministry here in the church and all the things that have to get done behind the scenes and all the little details, all the things the men don't see and they'll never see, all right? The women see and then, yeah, we need to do this, you know? And sometimes the men need convincing, we need to do this. Don't you see that? No, I don't see that. Well, we need to do it. Right, and they come along and they finally convince us, because it's not we're not in violation of any scripture or any kind of principle that would be hindering. So let's do it. All right, and so the women are are mentioned here because they are vital to the function of the church, to the the continued character of their husband, and and the ministry that goes forward. And we cannot do without them. We cannot do without them at all. They are very much needed. So that brings me to the function of the deacons, all right? There are, again, two I'm mentioning quickly. The first function of a deacon is that of a minister of relief to the elders, all right? A minister of relief to the elders. Like it says in Acts 6, verse number 4, it tells us there, it says, well, the whole passage says, so the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and says, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. In verse number four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word of God. All right, in other words, that would be the next passage. That's what becomes the focal priority of the the elders so um and so let me just say that the preaching and the teaching of the word of god and prayer is and should always be the primary business of the church everything else is secondary to that if those things aren't getting done then then we are putting something else in front of it then we are going to end up moving scriptural priorities to the wrong places. See, the the practical care for the needy is important. Yes, that's why we have deacons. 
But it is not the first priority, and it's not the first priority of the deacons. It does come in a close second, or better, in conjunction with carrying out the primary task. The mercy task is always present and will always be there. There will always be needs that need attention. But that's where the deacons come in. That's where the deacons become vital. When the number of uh, Hellenistic and Hebrew women were increasing in number, that's when the deacons were, were, were called in so they can relieve the apostles then, but the elders now, so the right here, so that they would be devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word, so that would not be hindered. See, that means, what, what does that mean? It means the deacons make sure that these two priorities stay priorities. That's part of their job. And so that means the twofold responsibility of an elder would be the ministry of the word, right? And then also the ministry of prayer. And of course, as I just said, the deacons are so vital to make sure that these two priorities stay priorities. Right? That becomes extremely important. And why is that? Well, it's because when you start ministering to people's needs, it gets complicated. And not one person could handle all that. Even though the elders are accountable for giving uh, that responsibility to the deacons, the reason why is because the bur- it's, it's too burdensome to do the mercy and the word ministry of the church together. God has to ordain has ordained the diaconate to uh, diaconate to be the administrative body that sees the mercy needs of the community, both the believing and unbelieving, and to give relief to the shepherds, to the pastors, to the elders of the congregation of that activity so that they may devote themselves to the word of God in prayer. We can never get away from that in Scripture. And, of course, what do they do also? They serve to care for the table of the pastors, in other words, or the and the elders. They they are responsible uh, to make sure that the elders are laboring in doctrine and have the time to do that and are not so bogged down with other outside interruptions that they never seem to get to the study of the Word of God and to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God on a regular basis. And then that eventually gets pushed aside and other things fill in that. Uh, Let's face it, we can do a lot of good things, right? But we have to keep God's priorities in Scripture. And that becomes very vital. And the deacons are part of that balance. And of course, they're to serve also the care of the table of the Lord. That, That means the physical needs and the gathering of the Lord's table, the preparation, the distribution of the visible elements, uh, preparing candidates for baptism, preparing the baptistry so that we can baptize people, the physical properties, classrooms and nurseries and buildings and grounds and repairs and supplies, uh, all these things have to be taken care of so we can minister to the people, parking and building expansions that may be coming in the future. All, right, all those things are can really pull you away from, uh, the elders away from the responsibility that we ought to be involved in. So, of course, another thing is making sure that money is handled correctly. Both the elders and the deacons are to do that responsibly. 
But so that's the first thing. But the second thing concerning deacons is this, that they are to function as a minister of relief to the needy. Yes, part of their responsibility is to those people who are someone who needs help, right? As it says here, we have also learned that we are to do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. That means that our, their responsibility has an order of priority. It's the church that comes first and the people in the church. At the same time, they should not be taken, uh, it should not be taken to mean that we ought not to minister to the needs of the unbelieving, but we are responsible to lend aid to both if we can. Sometimes we cannot. So the church has to come first. And so they're to serve and care for the table of the, pu- of the poor. It is the duty of the deacons to be aware of those in the assembly with monetary and physical needs, those who need help with their day's sustenance, that can mean a loss of a job, uh, poor health, widows, orphans, uh, the basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter. Actually, that's all God promised us anyway. He didn't promise you uh, a rose garden. He promised you food, clothing, and shelter. And I don't think anybody is missing out on that this morning. All right, so but they're to be aware of people that are going to have problems. So putting it all together, based on the institution of official servants called deacons in Acts 6, along with the, the distinction of the office of elder, along with the priority in the church of helping people, it seems most certain that the deacon's job is to support and to relieve the elders so that the people of God may be served in spheres outside the elders' primary responsibility, which are clearly delineated in Acts 6-4, where it says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, Alexander Strauch, who uh, I used that book in training, actually there one, there's a book for the elders and deacons, but he, he said this, and I thought it was a, a good quote to put up, here He said this, as long as the deacons of the church enable the shepherds of the church to carry out their primary duties, and as long as the deacons minister to the congregation's welfare needs, they are doing their job. And that is true. I agree with that. So we are given the real reason for the appointing of, of the seven men's, men in Acts chapter 6. The fundamental principle of the diaconal office is this. To do whatever the task the elders assign to them in order to relieve the elders from getting involved in activities that would hinder them from accomplishing their tasks. So prayer and preaching and are the two that go hand in hand. Deacons are the key to make sure they stay hand in hand. So what happened in Acts 6 is that once these men were picked, then they had to be brought before the congregation for final approval. Um, And that's what we're going to look at now. So what is ordination? After all that, what is ordination? 
Ordination is simply a confirmation by the church of a man's call to serve in the office of elder and or deacon. Ordination by the Calvary Community Church uh, constitutes formal recognition of one's call to the Christian ministry, his biblical qualifications, and his preparation for service. That leads me to the next question. What is laying on of hands? You may have never even heard of that term before. But right in the scripture, it does tell us that. The New Testament indicates that the elder deacon and slash deacons were formally installed into office before the congregation by the laying on of hands and prayer. This ceremony is a public appointment to the office of elder and office of deacon in which fellow elders, by laying on their hands, putting their hands on them, would communicate to the new elder deacon the approval, blessing, prayers, recognition, and fellowship of the church. That's what we're going to do this morning. All right? From Acts chapter 6, verse 6, it says, And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them. So this is... Uh, this is the official public recognition before the congregation to say these men are the men that God has given our church to be the elders taking care of the spiritual aspects of leading the church, and these other men are the deacons taking care of the mercy aspects of the church, and both of them are necessary to the functioning of the church the way God designed it. So the laying on of hands was a commissioning service to affirm the choice of individuals for a particular task. Although the word is not specifically used here, these seven men in Acts 6 are thought to be the first deacons. So it says there in that Acts passage, look out from among you, among the people, the congregation, and then, of course, the electing wishes of the congregation. The congregation was knowledgeable enough to pick out the men and, and, and help. Now, they didn't approve of the men. The apostles would approve of them finally. They had the final say. It's just like the elders have the final say in approving men because we may know more about somebody than you do. All right, But what happens is that they have electing wishes of the congregation. The elders lay hands on them after a testing period to show their approval, so that these men must be first, as it says already, tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. And, of course, the same with elders. So I thank the Lord that for the men that God has actually given evidence of that calling and readiness, it will be a high privilege to ordain Greg Ho and Khalif Crumbly as our elders, and then Hermano Bibo, Joseph Fantuzo, and Brian Gusses as our deacons. These men have worked and served in our ministry for several years, some for longer, a longer period of time. So the testing period in our in this case has been maybe longer than it should have been. But nonetheless, the longer the testing period the more confident we are to lay hands on them to say, yes, these men have the character and they meet the minimum and far beyond the minimum requirements 
and that the, these are the men that God, God has given us. They have passed the testing period, and they have been also tested by you. You may have not known you've been testing them, but you have, because you're looking out about what they do, who they are, what, what they're about. And they have shown me that they have been faithful to the Lord, they have been faithful to the Word of God, and they have been faithful to the church and to the people. That's They have been, and that's a great blessing uh, to our church. So this is, again, a, a historical event. So I'd like, to, I'd like the elders to stand, everybody stand, both the elders and the deacons to stand, and I do have some ordination vows that I will give to them, and, um, and of course, at the end, you will respond to them. So, having repented of sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, having been baptized and having been made a member of the local church, having faithfully served for many years in many capacities, having prayed and studied and read and grown in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and having, having aspired to the office of elder and the office of deacon, and having been approved and affirmed to that office after watchful testing and also experience, experiential testing by the elders, by the elder me and the members of the Calvary Community Church, do you now promise to lead a life worthy of emulation? Now, all these are to the elders, but they're, they don't all apply to the deacons, but they do in some way to joyfully watch over the souls of this flock as one who will give an account to God for each of them, to always preach with the day of God's strict judgment for teachers in mind, to pray believingly for the sick, to shepherd God's flock that has been allotted to you, willingly, eagerly seeking to model first what you ask of them, to serve the Lord with both joy and tears, to resist every temptation to shrink back from declaring the whole gospel, whether in the privacy of one's home or in the public square, to preach repentance and faith in Christ alone, to willingly accept suffering should God place you in a position where obedience requires it, to value the calling and gospel of Jesus Christ above your own, to guard the church as the blood-bought possession of Jesus Christ, and thus to care for her as the most valuable possession, to stay alert at your post, even willing to rebuke fellow elders who preach or teach any doctrine not found in God's word to live as if it is more blessed to give than to receive, to carefully weigh the words of the preached word in this assembly, to willingly suffer, for Jesus' sake, hardship, physical torture, betrayal, inconvenience, exposure, disappointment, persecution, sovereign weakenings, calamities, and the daily pressure and concern for the church, Paul went through all that, not that we're going to go through all that, to value the word of God over arguments, one, to train yourself in godliness, to labor and strive with persistence in the work of your ministry more than 
any before you giving God all the glory for any success to address men's lives as well as minds calling others to follow your personal growth and godliness and sanctification to keep close watch on your own life and your own doctrine to pursue righteousness godliness faith love steadfastness and gentleness to never quit give up swerve or slack off in your effort to fulfill your ministry not even when you are middle-aged and tired and suffering to this to despite Greg just had a birthday he's like now 41 years old so I guess he's is that middle-aged I don't even know anymore <laughs> it's all downhill from there anyway just some, some words of encouragement uh, to despise the allure of riches in this world and to live for the eternal wealth of Christ's presence in heaven, to guard the sacred deposit entrusted to your care, to teach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that old men, old women, young men, young women, children will understand how to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ with good works, to value Jesus above your wife, your children, your church, your ministry, your knowledge, yourself, and anything else in this world, to speak to God's people with gentle authority, to be zealous for good works, to not be ashamed of the gospel or the Savior, regardless of the audience, to flee youthful sins and run toward being a man of God who handles the word of truth accurately, to correct ungodly with gentleness, not quarrelsomeness, to preach the word of God in season and out of season, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting with complete patience and teaching, to entrust your souls to the faithful creator, no matter the blessing or the trial or persecution. If, in the sight of God, And these witnesses, you do now set your heart to make this pledge, promising that when you fail, you will seek both the forgiveness and and, and restoration as soon as possible. Then I call upon you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of, of the living and the dead, and this congregation, and of course by his appearing and his kingdom to answer we do. To answer, we do. Say that again? Okay, we do. Good. Now, I'd like you men to come up. You're not, we're not done yet. All right? Why don't you men come, up, come on up, Elder? And then Dwayne is going to accompany me as I pray over them and lay my hands on them. And for this reason, Dwayne was our former elder, and, and he is... Uh, He's not an elder right now, but he so he's going to help me. So we'll come over here and kneel down, facing the congregation. And then as soon as we're done with them, our deacons are going to come up and they'll kneel down over here and we'll pray over them. So let's let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, these are the men that you have given our assembly to serve as your shepherds. We praise you for them. 
Lord, grant to them strength of body, soul, intellect, will, and affection for you and your people. Give them insight into your word. May it be a light unto their path and a constant passion in their heart. May they study your word and become workmen who do not need to be ashamed, men of the word. May they become men of dependent prayer, men of prayer. May they be sensitive to their own sin and practice to confess it and put it to death. Enable them, Lord, to fulfill their duties under the watchful eye of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may their lives adorn the gospel in their homes, with their wives and children, in their church, with your blood-bought children, and on their jobs with the lost. May from this day forward, these men, that they will carry out their elder responsibilities with soberness, with care, with joy, and with love, so that our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified, honored, and pleased with their service. In Christ, I pray this. Amen. Our mono is, uh, and the family is sick this morning, so he's not with us today. Okay, let's slicker him. Lord Jesus, these are the men that you have given our assembly to serve your under shepherds and your people. We praise you for them. Lord, grant to them strength of body, soul, intellect, will, and affection for you. Give them eyes of mercy to see the needs. Give them a heart of pity and compassion to meet the needs. Give, give them wisdom to know how to do it. Enable them to fulfill their duties under the watchful eye of their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And give them a heart full of love for you and others. And may their hunger for your word never dissipate. May their testimony for the gospel and be clear so the preaching and the teaching of the word of God may be accomplished. May their lives adorn the gospel in their homes, in church, and in public. May from this day forward, they would be able to carry out their deacon responsibilities with soberness, with care, and with joy. Lord Jesus, so that you may be pleased in all their service, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Here we go. We're going to be facing the congregation. Take that. You can go stand over there on that side. Hey, Greg. Okay, these are the men that God has given us, and I try to present that this morning today in a manner that is serious and that is important for us to do, not only now, but as other men come up. And we do have two other men. Bruce Weider. Why don't you stand, Bruce? Brian Neves. All right, and his wife, Michelle. All right. All right, they're going to be our deacon candidates that are coming up. And so we are thankful that the Lord's raising up other people, too, that are going to be part of our, our ministry. Can you maybe see it? Now, I'd like everybody to stand. I have some questions for you. So now, 
as you as the, the congregation, the members of the Calvary Community Church, the questions I have for you is this. That are you, you're committed to obey these men, to submit to them, remembering that they are keeping watch over your souls as one who will give an account. Will you let them do this with joy and not with groaning? For that would be not of no advantage to you. Are you willing to encourage and identify God's grace in their life, especially the grace of humility, remembering that a God opposes the proud and give grace to the humble? Are you willing to pray for them, that God would open to them the door for the word of God, to declare the mystery of Christ, that they may make it clear as they ought to speak whatever ministry they're doing? And are you willing to pray for them that they will finish their course and the ministry that they have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God? If so, answer, we do. Okay. Both brothers and sisters in Christ, because we believe that the Holy Spirit has gifted you, uh, these men, to this ministry and made you the gift to this church, and trust that we have not acted in haste, but in prayerful dependence on Christ, therefore it is my joy as the elder of this church to lay as already done, having laid hands on both the elders and deacons and called upon God himself to seal to you their ministry, their life, to the glory of God, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for the kindness that you have shown us in not only establishing a church many years ago, even, Lord, when this church was built 146 years ago, I don't believe this church has ever been, this building at least, has been without a gospel witness. And I thank you, Lord, that it's con still continuing till this day. And I pray that it will continue in this place, that the, the word of God would be honored, Christ would be exalted, the glory of and motive of the church would always bring glory to God and that you would always give us men and their wives that would be qualified deacons and elders to carry out the work. And we'll praise you for all that you have and will do in our midst presently and in the future. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You're all welcomed in the back for some refreshments. Thank you.